Church, I have a pre-sermon to the sermon, so let me just make a few comments in my pre-sermon to the sermon. We live in turbulent, changing times. It is wild. And my exhortation in this pre-sermon sermon is to not be asleep, but to be wide awake. In fact, 1 Thessalonians says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, for, for, for those who uh, sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. We belong to the day. Um, just, just hear those words. So, so don't, don't. Be a, understand, walk in, under, so, so here's an example. 19, the year is 1938, there's a guy in Germany by the name of Adolf Hitler, and Hitler in, um, in, in March of 1938 just seizes Austria, just gobbles up Austria. And France and England start thinking, what do we do, what do we do? We, we've just lost England, we've just lost a million men in the First World War, we don't want to go to war, what can we do? And the, the Germans are waiting for the Allies to respond. They don't respond. And, and then, as the months go by, there's a guy named Neville Chamberlain who's prime minister. Neville Chamberlain uh, is a Christian, by the way, he's a Christian scientist. And the Christian scientists do not believe in the sinfulness of man. So, just, just inside. So, Christian, Neville Chamberlain goes to Munich in September of 1938. And he meets with Hitler, and they signed the non-aggression pact that neither one of them will go to war with each other. And Hitler promises to be a good boy. And Neville Chamberlain comes back with a piece of paper in his hand, and he says, we have peace in our time. And if you read the historical account, the streets of London were filled with people celebrating. We've averted war. We've averted war. Thank you, Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain goes to see the king, and the king and the queen stand on the balcony with tens of thousands of people clouding, uh, clapping and applauding. And the king does something unprecedented. He steps back, and he pushes Neville Chamberlain forward, and the crowd just starts rhapsodic applause. The next day... Hitler invades Czechoslovakia the next day. There was a lone voice. I've been reading this book. I'm almost finished with it. There was a lone voice, a guy named Winston Churchill, who's kind of an outcast. And he kept saying, you can't negotiate with a wicked man. Hitler is a wicked man. In fact, he had a statement that I, I became humorous. He was very good with humor. He said, Britain's ruling class continues to take its weekends in the country while Hitler takes his countries in the weekends. So the next month, November the 9th and 10th, is the night of Kristallnacht, the broken glass, when there was a syncopated attack on the Jews of Germany. And in one night, 267,000 synagogues were destroyed. Many of them burned to the ground. 7,000 Jewish businesses destroyed. 30,000 leaders in the Jewish community in Germany were taken to concentration camps. 91 were killed. Um, and when that happened, 
the world st stood up and realized you can't negotiate with a wicked man. So I, I, I say that because there was a voice. There was a voice. And what we know now historically, which makes it even more devastating, is that the German army and its leadership were ready to get rid of Hitler if only someone had stood up and said, no more. But they didn't say that until it's too late. So I say that to say, don't be a Neville Chamberlain. God rest his soul. Don't be asleep at the helm. Understand the times in which we are going. There was a slogan years ago by Oldsmobile that didn't get much traction, didn't get much rubber in the road, whatever you want to call it. But, but it, it, the, the theme was, this is not what? Your father's Oldsmobile. It kind of stuck in my mind. And, and all I can say is, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. I told the new members this weekend, I, there's a certain amount of me that, that grieves for parents of young children. This age is very difficult. It is amazing. Do not let your kids have an iPhone until they're 18. Let me just say that, okay? And just, just don't do it. Get a phone where you can track them and then call you, but they don't need that. And it's there. Um, so, so my, my plea to you is to develop a life of alert prudence. There's a guy named Aquinas who died in 1250, and he said this. He said, a prudent person is one who sees from afar. He sees well. And I want you to be prudent, informed people. And we can be asleep at the helm. And one of my movies I watched growing up every year was something called The Wizard of Oz. And you remember what Dorothy said? We are not in Kansas anymore, Toto. We're not in Kansas anymore. So be, be alert. And, and, and I, I spent a lot of time in Psalm 11. Psalm 11 says, the people are running around saying, flee as a bird to the mountain. The wicked have drawn the bow and they've aimed the bow at you and the arrow at you. And this is going to pierce your breast. And the psalmist says, but don't forget, God is on his throne. So I have to confess that sometimes I go to despair instead of prayer. Don't do that. Don't go to despair. Go to prayer, believing that God is going to build his kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail and go forward. So, so, but, but, but be alert. So as, as I think about being alert, there's a book that's recently been released entitled Competing Spectacles by a guy named Tony Ranke, who really is an, a great thinker about media. And this is what he says. And I've got a little diagram up here to show you. He says this. This is mind-boggling. More than 24,000 minutes of new user video is uploaded to YouTube every minute of every day. 24,000. This means that the tonnage of new video content uploaded to YouTube in the next 58 hours <clears throat> would require an unbroken lifespan of 80 years to watch. No bathroom breaks, no sleep, no food. It's amazing. So, so I read that and I go, with the incredible information overload that inundates us, how do we make distinctions? Let me give you a couple of distinctions. Be people of the book. I've got in the sermon guide something called the English Standard Version Bible Reading Plan. It's, it's a simple reading plan, and if you stay to it, you read through the Old Testament one time a year and the New Testament and Psalms twice a year. It's wonderful. Just you can, you can download it. You can listen to it in your phone as you go to work. 
on your car. Uh, and then I said, you got to keep your hearts fresh. And one way I keep my heart fresh is I read often on two devotionals. Some devotionals are really, really, really good. And I'm going to give you those. Some are not very good at all. Some are just bad. So I'm going to give you the really, really good ones because you only need one or two. One is Morning and Evening by a guy named Charles Spurgeon who died in 1898. Famous British pastor, wonderful man. Morning and Evening. You can click it on the internet. The other is not on the internet. You have to buy the book. It's called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. It's just wonderful. Both of those I alternate. Sometimes both in one day, sometimes just one. And, and then you need to be informed. And I'm going to give you two ways to be informed. There are numerous ways to be informed or, uh, you know, a plethora of ways to be informed. Uh, but, but listen, two things. World Magazine is a, is a good little magazine. It's kind of a Christian world and life view. Um, I, I think it's a good magazine. The other is The Briefing. It's a, it's a podcast every day by Al Mohler, Monday to Friday. He deals with current issues. I always have to take a happy pill after I listen to it because it is difficult sometimes, but it, is, it keeps you informed and it helps you not to be asleep. So that, that, is, that is my plea. That's my pre-sermon sermon. May God bless his word. All right, now we go to the sermon. So let me tell you my purpose in this sermon. My purpose in this sermon is that you will leave with your hearts aflamed anew with the glory of the gospel of grace. Hearts aflamed anew. So may God by his spirit do that. So we're in, we're in Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24, Jesus has just given a very difficult statement about judgment where he says it will be more tolerable for two Phoenician cities than it will be for two well-known Jewish cities on the day of judgment, which blew the minds of the hearers. It's going to be more tolerable for these two Phoenician cities, non-Jewish, Gentile cities, than for these Jewish cities. And then he says about Capernaum, which was his basis of operations. Base of operation, Capernaum. He says, and you, Capernaum, what about you? He says, do you think you will be exalted to heaven? He says, no, you will be brought down to Hades, or hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom... It would have repented or remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And I've got to tell you, that, that was a mind-boggling statement because in a Jewish mind and in our minds, Sodom represented the epitome of wickedness. And if he says it's going to be more tolerable for this city that was given over to total wickedness than for you guys, you say, good but then he says this, on the heels of all that, he says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who, are, who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Now, you're sitting there, you're listening to this, and you say, well, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And basically, no one can know the Son and the Father except those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And so you say, well, how do I know that God has revealed Himself to me? How do I know that I am part of His called-out people? And Jesus answers that in the text. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So if, if I want to be a follower of Christ, I come to Christ in a weary and heavy laden state. I, I, I'm, I'm beat down by my rebellion, my sin. I'm beat down by the circumstances of life. I'm, I'm beat down by the everydayness of life's experience. I need a Savior. And, and so how do you know? that God has worked in your heart. You come to Jesus and you say, I'm weary and heavy laden. It's, it's, it's very simple. And as we look at this text, I want to talk about three types of people. I'm gonna combine, I have four, but I'm gonna combine two of them for the sake of time in the worship guide. Three types of people as you think about this text. And a companion passage will be Luke chapter 18, a well-known statement story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let me just read it, starting in verse 9, Luke 18. And Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thusly, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus said this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified or right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself shall be Exalted. It's a wonderful, wild story. So, mention three types of people. Type number one is the Pharisee. Self-congratulatory, smug, self-satisfied. The thing about the Pharisees is they really did these things. They really did fast twice a week. And they really did tithe. And they did all of these rules and regulations and they did this and they did that and they did all these things to earn God's favor and to be part of the travel squad. They, they, they did these things because they were working their way into the favor of God. But what happens when you do this and you think you've done well, Jesus says you treat other people with contempt. You look down on them. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity that's just a phenomenal book. And he says this, it's in your sermon guide, uh, sermon outline. I'll give you two quotes. One quote is this, there, there are, are two things inside me competing 
with the human self which I must try to overcome. Okay, overcome. They are the animal self and the diabolical or demon-like self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But, of course, it is better to be neither. And what Lewis is saying is that if you think you're earning your way into God's favor, then you're going to practice one-upmanship and you're going to treat people with contempt because they don't measure up. He says later in this book, something I read and wrote down regarding uh, pride. He says, pride is the chief sin. The devil is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled provided all the time he is setting you up in the dictatorship of pride, which is being glad you're better than someone else. Just as he would be quite content to see your skin blemishes cured if he were allowed in return to give you cancer. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. So I was thinking about the, the Pharisees. I, see, I think the vast majority of those of us who name Christ, the, the vast majority, have hearts that are spring-loaded to think like a Pharisee, to think that we've got to do, 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 do to get there. And so we work hard, and as we work hard and we do something that's fairly good, sometimes we look down on other people that aren't doing the same thing. I thought many times when we get together for worship or community groups or men's groups or women's groups that we should adopt the policy of, of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And we should say, hi, my name is blank. I am a recovering Pharisee. And I have been since I met the cross and the grace of Jesus. Hi, recovering Pharisee. And see, to be a recovering Pharisee, you have to continually lie to yourself. Uh, you've got to redefine sin, redefine this so that you can fit in and, and, and be on the inside of the inside. And it is death. It's death. I was thinking about lying to ourselves the other day. I was going to a fitness center, and there are two signs out front. One sign was pretty good. Strive for progress, not perfection. Yeah, that's a good sign for the Christian faith. Nobody's ever going to be perfect, but we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. The other sign I read, and I just laughed, it said this, that the best is ahead of you, not behind you. And I walked into the doors of the fitness center and saw a lot of people my age and older. And just not true. <laughs> I saw people in there that have suffered strokes, and so their gait is very different than it was just a year ago. And listen, if you are 30, unless you lived a desolate lifestyle of, of, of rampant nothingness in your 20s, the best is behind you if you're 30. I mean, sorry to tell you that. But that's, I mean, we, 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 that, that's just true. So, so I, I think we have to reinvent ourselves and signs. And, and so what happens is it, when you're a Pharisee, you end up treating people with contempt. As you praise yourself. And, and a Pharisee doesn't get the gospel. 
There's no traction. I was thinking about, about this. If, if I ever look at people, and I do sometimes, I'll confess to you, I look at people, they're on, maybe they're doing this or they're doing that, and I think, loser, loser. That's the Pharisee in my spirit. That's the Pharisee in my spirit. And I, I think, do you, do you know how to, how, how to conquer runaway hyper-nationalism or how to conquer ethnocentric superiority thinking no matter what your race is or to, or, or to conquer zip code elitism, you glory in the gospel. You, you, want, you, want to destroy, you want to destroy racism in your life, you glory in the gospel of grace. Do not forget grace. Do not forget your recovering Pharisee. Years ago, we helped start several churches in the, in the Ukraine around the city of Kiev. And two years into that, uh, they asked for me to come out and spend some time with the pastors. And so I went to Kiev. It was in November. I got there and uh, spent time with pastors. A man from our church went with me and um, just met people that had been through horrific persecution under the communists who fought the Nazis in World War II. It, it was an incredible experience. But uh, Russia, as they do, had put a stranglehold on the Ukraine. They wouldn't let any oil into the Ukraine. And they had stopped some of the food shipments into the Ukraine. And so if you went into the grocery stores, they were barren. I mean, there were just very few things on the shelves. And because there was no oil to speak of, the buildings weren't heated. Many of them weren't. And so when I got back to Germany, I read where that was the coldest November in the history of the Ukraine. And I was there. Dear people. But I remember I was riding with one of the pastors through, through Kiev. And, and I, we were at a stoplight, and I looked out the window, and there were about 20 people outside of this little store waiting in line. And I said to him, I says, what are they doing? He says, they're waiting in line to get a loaf of bread. And I just happened to fixate on one gentleman who was ramrod straight, very handsome, probably 55, and on one of the, the, the mink caps that they're famous for in the Ukraine, uh, a, a beautiful coat, carrying a wonderful, a, 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 a very attractive briefcase. He was immaculately groomed. And I just thought, man, this, this guy's got it together. And, and I thought, if I could get out of here, he could probably converse with him because he knows at least three languages. And he's smarter than I am. And he's certainly more well-groomed than I'll ever be. But he's standing in line for an hour and a half to get a loaf of bread when I, living in this land of plenty, can walk up to any grocery store in America and get more bread than I ever will need to eat in my life. That is, a, that is listen, that is a metaphor of grace. Do not forget the grace of the cross, recovering Pharisees. The second person is, is the tax collector who's bad and he knows it. And he's broken and he knows it. He has sold out to the occupational forces, the Romans. He is taxing and really stealing from his countrymen. And he was justifiably despised. But he's sitting in the corner. He won't even look around. But he's looking up in his heart to heaven and he's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pharisee stands up in the middle of everybody and brags about himself. This man, have mercy. And Jesus says, this man went home justified. It's an amazing statement. He went home 
justified, right with God. That's why when we talk about the definition of a disciple, a disciple is a forgiven sinner. That's where you start. You start at the cross. A forgiven sinner who's constantly learning Jesus in ongoing repentance and faith. That's it. Somebody who doesn't forget the gospel. There is uh, the second most sold book, I think, still in the world is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory of faith about a man named Pilgrim who leaves the city of destruction with a burden on his back. And he's got an open book in his hand. Here's a picture of him. And this is the first paragraph written by a guy who died in 1688 named, named John Bunyan. said, I, I, I dreamed and I beheld a, a man clothed with rags standing in a certain place with his face from his house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and he trembled, and not being able longer to contain, he broke out with a great cry saying, what shall I do? He has this burden on his back, and, 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 and he's got the open book. The open book is the Bible, but he's reading the Bible, the law that, that he's trying to justify himself before God. And Romans 3 says no one will ever be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, as we read the law, we become aware of our sin, and that's what's happening to him. He's reading the law. and He's, he's reading, he says, for example, Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus says, but, but if you are angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. And you go, oh, no. If you call your brother a blockhead or a fool, you've broken the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus says, if you've looked at another person with sexual craving in your heart, you've broken the seventh commandment. And you said, everybody says, oh, no. And so this man, is, he's reading the Bible, but he's not, he's not, he hasn't got to the cross. And he cries out with a lamentable cry, what shall I do? And the answer is, come to Jesus. With your burden, you come to Jesus. There's a hymn I put in the worship guide entitled, poor, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. And it's by a guy named Joseph Hart. And Joseph Hart, as a younger man, wrote uh, a pamphlet entitled The Unreasonableness of the Christian Faith. He mocked the Christian faith. At the age of 43, he started going to a church and he heard someone preach on the endurance of saints beneath the cross out of Revelation 3. And he became a believer. A few years later, he wrote this hymn. It goes like this. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Then the next sentence just gets the gospel right. Let not conscience make you linger, or a fitness fondness, fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. So, you can, so let not conscience make you linger. In other words, don't let conscience beat you up and tell you you cannot ever be saved, you're not worthy. Conversely, don't hang around thinking that you will some way be, by your work, be fitted for heaven. So avoid both extremes. All the fitness he requires is to acknowledge your need of him. 
That's the gospel. So Pilgrim's Progress goes on, and he goes through various temptations, and he goes through the slew of despond, and he's at the, on the delectable mountain, and so forth and so on. But then he comes to the place where he loses his burden, and it's at the cross. And there's an open grave behind him. And as he looks at the cross, the burden falls from his back into the open grave, which represents the empty grave of Jesus. Man, it's good stuff. It is so good. You just want to, wow. This is what, the, what Bunyan writes. Christians sang a song of deliverance. Thus far have I come laden with my sin. Nor could I get rid of the grief that I had until I came to this place. And what a place it is. Here is the beginning of my joy. Here the burden has fallen from my back. Here the strings that bound it to me cracked away and it fell into the grave. Blessed cross, blessed grave, blessed rather be the man that was put to shame on the cross for me. He got the gospel. Do you get the gospel? Do you get the gospel? Has conscience made you linger thinking, I'm not worthy? Or are you still fondly dreaming of fitting yourself and being, you'll never get there. Never get there. It's only through the work of Jesus on the cross who is your substitute. Get the gospel. So there's the third person. And the third person is not in Luke 18, but I'm going to throw it in. The third person is the person who knows that he or she is very, very bad and they've given up hope. They've just given up hope. There's some of you here today. You said, you know, i I've done so many stupid, bad, wicked things. There's no way. After this sermon, there were two people that stopped me and said, thank you for saying what you said. I have a relative, a brother, one said a brother, who says there's no way God could ever love me because I've been so, so bad. You see, if you ever hear, if you ever hear the, the words no hope, that is from the pit of hell. It's not from the throne room of heaven. God is the God of hope. Uh, there's an old hymn that says this, dark is the stain that I cannot hide. You know, all of us have stains. Some of us have stains they cannot hide. Some, some people have, have, have burned their body out with, with uh, abuse. Uh, and it's obvious. But dark is the stain that I cannot hide. You just can't hide. There's a man named Lloyd-Jones in one of my favorite books called Spiritual Depression has a chapter called That One Sin, and Lloyd-Jones says, I think, so well, so well. He says, he says there, are, there is a season in our life where we are involved in ungodliness, and it is horrible, and it causes us to blush. And most every believer has that one sin or that period in their life where they walked in disobedience and they're deeply shamed, and it can keep them from coming full-fledged to the gospel of grace. He says, always listen to the voice of Christ calling us, come to me, all your weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What a gracious, what a glorious statement. So do you get the gospel? So going back to the hymn, dark is the stain that I cannot hide. What can ever wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you can be today. Listen, the cross covers your sin. So preach the gospel to yourself. Just thinking about this between services, I think of 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 is a statement. Let's just listen to it. Paul says, 
do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. These are people that are an ongoing unrepentant sin, shaking their fist in God, God's face. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, man, the church at Corinth was a wild group. That's East Cooper Baptist Church, folks. I've been here a long time. Some of you pray that I never get dementia and just start talking without thinking. Because I know where the bodies are buried. Some of you know where my bodies have been buried. And there are people sitting here who've been involved in immorality and adultery and homosexuality. There are people here that have been involved in theft. They've been greedy. They've been involved in drunkenness. They've rep- but but listen, listen to this. The next verse just makes you want to stand up and laugh and cheer. And if you weren't so old, do cartwheels. Listen. Listen. And such were some of you. Not everybody. Some of you were raised in little homes where you did cuss. You only watched Little House on the Prairie. I know that. But there are a lot of people here that didn't grow up that way. Such were some of you. You're sitting among adulterers and thieves and greedy people. You don't have to confess that right now. It's covered by the blood. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of the Lord. Wow. Burdens gone. Off the back. Do you get the gospel? Does it inflame your life? So, so this is, part of this is, I'm just, I think that many of us, I think most, I think the vast majority of us, my personal opinion, have our hearts spring to think that we've got to do, 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 and we forget the gospel of grace. And when we live that way, I think that the joy is gone. It's like Paul says in Galatians when they get caught up in circumcision. He says in Galatians 4, he says, what happened to all your joy? Where's your laughter? Where's your gladness? He says, you've got caught up in trying to do the works of the law and you've lost your joy. Don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. I think it's easy to forget the gospel of grace and to jump on the performance track. So easy. And I'm just saying, remember the gospel. Always remember the gospel. First Corinthians chapter one, I've been meditating on this passage lately. I've just been so sweet. He says in chapter one, verse 26, for, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world's eyes to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised. In the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And then he says this. He, he's done this 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Think about it. I mean, God has worked in your heart. So, so, so really, some of you have accomplished much, and I, I thank God for that, and we should be thankful for that. We should have a good reputation with outsiders, the Bible says, and we should let our light so shine. So I, I've, some of you are graduating, some of you are getting married, some, several people are having babies this week. We're so thankful, and we're so glad, and we celebrate accomplishments, and, and, and I think it's wonderful. But don't forget the gospel. In fact, I hope recruit a friend who walk with you, and as you go through life and you experience your victories, and I hope a lot of you have a lot of victories and a lot of good stuff, and, and, and people say that you're the man of the year, you're the physician of the month, or you're the lawyer of the decade, or you're the auto mechanic of, 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 of the year, whatever. Um, and, you know, people say, God must have your picture on his, on his refrigerator. Don't buy that. It's grace. And so when, when they are, when people are praising you, have a friend that walks up beside you and says, you know, congratulations, but don't forget Revelation 3.17. You're really wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Congratulations on being man of the year. Now, don't forget the gospel of grace. You're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Oh, thank God for the gospel. It's good stuff. So I'm... Uh, I'm reading this, I'm going through this, and I'm thinking, how do you make application? Here's my application. Um, those of you who are believers in Jesus, we all have family members, coworkers, neighbors, friends, many, many of whom are outside of the faith. Uh, this week, either through a phone call, letter, visit, just say, Talking about Jesus said, come to me all you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I, there, there's rest and hope in Christ as you understand that, that, that sin has separated you from holy God and that you really are a rebel and you really deserve judgment. And, and so I just want to ask you, maybe for the first time or maybe again, to consider what it means to follow Jesus. Man, I, you're a good friend. I, I want you to understand that because there's life in that and there's death in other things. So, so next week, as you meet people, say, did you talk to your friend? Did you talk to your friend? Ask me that. And if you're not here next week, I'll know why. It's because you're avoiding the question, okay? So we'll take a roll next week. Okay, come in, all right? Oh, thank God for the gospel of grace. Man, it builds marriages. It builds families. It builds lives. It lets you go to sleep at night. Amen. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we are, uh, we read this passage and we think about God in the flesh saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And it is staggering. Thank you that you've extended that invitation. I pray for people that are in our services today who do not know you, that you would really show them the way to get rid of the burden is at the cross. That the judgment that should have fallen upon us has fallen upon Christ. And so teach us and bless us. Lord, let us rejoice in this and speak it to people. Uh, forgive me for not doing that. 
Let us speak it out in love and tenderness and mercy. So we praise you for this day and for the goodness that you've given to us, Savior Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.